Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is the 10th of October on Rural Queensland Today. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. There is a lot to get through this morning. Uh, Margot Andre will join us, CEO of Australian Pork. Brendan Taylor. Um, from Ag Force Grains President on the current state of this grain industry at the moment. We'll talk Australian rugby and David Littleproud standing up for us against the Ag Minister and this absolute scaremongering that's going on um, at this moment. Good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network. You can go to our Facebook page to get in contact with us anytime you like. Let's get into it. Uh, Murray Watt, I've had him on this show many times before, the Ag Minister, but David Littleproud caught him in the headlights he joins us next, uh, and I'm going to give you some opinions on exactly what is going on and why David Littleproud was right in attacking Murray Watt yesterday. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back. Uh, the 10th of October, Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin, Nationals leader David Littleproud. And yesterday they went all guns drawn um, and the headlines read, and rightly so, uh, Murray Watt, a Gold Coast lawyer with no interest in agriculture. They were the words from David Littleproud as he unloaded on Murray Watt after the National Farmers Federation survey found more than half of the farmers had lost faith in the Albanese government. Now, Ag Minister Murray Watt hit back saying Littleproud had been reduced to personal attacks because he was struggling for relevance and had been repeatedly rolled at cabinet table by his Liberal masters, pointing to the failed policies such as the container levy and ag visa. Well, the ag visa is no two ways about it, a controversial one. Now, the National Farmers Federation have collected a survey and the information of 1,600 landholders across Australia and across the nation stated that more than 54.3% found the government's policies harming the industry. Well, I'm surprised it's only that much. So 1,600 landowners, more than 54.3%, had lost faith in the government because they believed the government's policies are harming the industry. Now, farmers felt threatened by live sheep export phase-out. Well, we know that. We've spoken to Mark Harvey Sutton on many occasions about this debacle. And that is something that is we're all very concerned about. The levies to fund the nation's biosecurity systems, well, we need to spend more money on that, I don't know. But the water licence buyback um, around the Murray-Darling Basin Plan and the uncertainty around the environment and cultural heritage laws, these are the big issues. Now, then you want to talk about a falling commodity price and the scare tactics that are coming around the weather. Little Proud said the Labor did not see long-term pathways to power in regional Australia, meaning agriculture was not a sought-after portfolio within the Labor government. Instead, it was seen as a stepping stone which the left of the se sector vulnerable and very much short-sighted. Well, that's true. Never has it been a major seat and never has it been a sought-after portfolio. It was a last minute and at different stages, even in here in Queensland, we've had no Ag Minister at times. 
Survey is indicative of the le- le- le lawyer from the Gold Coast with no interest in agriculture, David Littleproud said. And this is what happens when agriculture, the ag minister, is a junior minister in cabinet and not standing up to the ideology of the labour machine. Unless you've got the courage, conviction and knowledge, it's inevitable the ideology will roll over the minister and the practical reality won't be able to be explained at Cabinet. Watt instead said it was Little Proud who had failed to stand up to his Liberal masters during the nine years of government. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true, particularly from someone who was known to have a dreadful relationship with stakeholders when he was a minister and got repeatedly rolled at the cabinet table by his Liberal masters. Whether it was on the failed ag visa, the container levy, or severe damage done to the relationship with our biggest trading partners in China. What stood by his government agricultural record, but acknowledged there was certainly more to be done. We've made great progress on key issues like biosecurity and trade in a short time and we've been in power and it's reflected in the NFF survey. Little Proud said that although the government had made a good show of playing nice and listening to farmers, their actions speak louder than words. Look at what they've done. Banning live sheep, water buybacks, fresh food tax and a full-on frontal assault on agriculture. Well, I can't disagree with David Littleproud on some of the things that he said, but I also need to acknowledge that we've been in some poor predicaments in the past under Liberal governments as well. And David Littleproud is the leader of the National Party and, to be fair with you, has done a very good job. The water buyback fiasco and the live sheep export phase out is disgusting. We know that our biosecurity, we talked with John Wharton yesterday, we've got issues everywhere. But for some unknown reason, um, the Labor government in, in no way want to own any of this. That's the concern to me. The concern is the complete lack of understanding of what is actually going on day to day. So then we have to deal with this circus which we call the Labor government, in Queensland. And if I have to hear about the scare tactering, which is destroying our ag industry, I again, I am going to scream. Seven months. Dire warning for millions of Aussies over severe weather. Adelaide Lang wrote this piece on the Newswire. The Courier-Mail picked it up and it's embarrassing and it should never, ever have been written. Australians are being urged to brace for seven months of severe weather after the Bureau of Meteorology released a dire, long-range forecast. But there is one silver lining for Queenslanders. Seriously? Australians are being urged to prepare for seven months of severe weather and the grim long-term forecast. Do they have any idea about the mental health of the agricultural industry when they put this crap out? Severe weather can occur at any time of the year, the National Weather Agency has warned. Extreme conditions are most likely to occur between October and April. Well, that's summer, that's storm season, that's normally what happens. The coming months will be an increased risk of heat waves and bushfires, 
due to the El Nino and positive Indian Ocean climate conditions. This is seriously what's written in the paper. The climate drivers typically result in lower rainfalls and higher temperatures, and the phenomenon is strengthened when this occurs. Senior meteorologist, all right, Sarah Scully, said the forecast showed a high chance mostly of the country would experience unusually warm temperatures until at least February. Daytime and nighttime temperatures will increase. Summer, so yeah, much of the eastern and southern Australia will be at risk of increased bushfires due to high temperatures, reduced rainfall and fuel load. Okay. Now, this will be dangerous and destructive. Grass growth over the last couple of years has caused this. The bushfire season is worrying already. Dangerous fires have been reported in every jurisdiction. However, there's a silver lining including Queenslanders. According to the Bureau, the El Nino and the positive Indian Ocean events will result in an 80% chance of fewer tropical cyclones. During the El Nino, the number of tropical cyclones in Australia region is often below average. I mean, seriously. Seriously. We've got to deal with this. As a farming and agricultural industry, we've got to deal with this crap getting written and thrown out the paper. And I know what you're going through at the moment. It, it, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing that the government can allow the Bureau of Meteorology to be so irresponsible. Yes, it's dry. Yes, there's an El Nino. But this scaremongering seven months of weather chaos that was written in the Courier-Mail this morning... Is sickening and it's got to stop. It has to stop. We cannot continue to go down this road with this kind of stuff because it's playing on people's mental health and I'm sick of it. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's the 10th of October across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. It's Tuesday morning, the 10th of October. CEO of Australian Pork is Margot Andre. She joins me this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Margot, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, Ben. Lovely to talk to you this morning. Uh, the, the, the word at the moment, and we're seeing it now, it's starting to filter through. We've understood what has been going on um, with the commodity markets of lamb and, and, and beef at the moment. And now the media started to pick it up, which is scary saying, oh, cheaper groceries, uh, uh, you know, supermarket chain slashing product. And to me, it's irresponsible reporting. Um, what, yeah. what is playing out then is that there's a flow-on effect for everybody and no doubt the pork industry as well, which has done so much work to gain market share, so much work to to try and be a staple in the diets of families who are struggling financially. We don't need price cutting and slashing out of supermarkets. No, look, it's a really important point. Like our hearts are with people who are struggling with cost of living. We had COVID for a couple of years. We're now coming back up and we've got interest rates at you know, really high levels and, and people are genuinely struggling between food and power and things like that. We understand all that. I guess what we're looking for is pork has been a reliable supplier throughout this time. We're a fantastic protein, very versatile, great for whether it's breakfast, lunch or dinner. 
and we're very affordable. So when you think of price on shelf, what we actually say to people, it's about choosing what you're putting in those baskets making sure it is good for your body, making sure it's a good choice. And that's where pork is a very good staple. And my heart is with the other industries as well. Some of the, the prices that we're seeing at sale yards and, and sales is really tough for producers. And then on top of that, they've got the double whammy of the Bureau of Meteorology talking about you know, oh. it's going to be a very hard summer. So it does feel, again, in the cycle of Australian agriculture, there's always something coming at people and our farmers are always having to adapt and prepare. So I guess it's about the value that people place on our, our meat and particularly our protein and that it is a very great part of a diet. So when you're in the supermarket, think about some of the you know processed stuff that maybe isn't good for your body, maybe that you don't need and is expensive and instead come back to our natural products here in Australia that we have and our fruit and veggies and our beautiful meats that we have. We have a really good supply of good meat here for a good price and that's where pork can become that staple because it is versatile you can have great leftovers and you know it's healthy for you so as i always say it's, it's good for the waistline and gentle on the hip pocket i um we have a very busy life and um we we get hello fresh and people can shout me down all they want um my wife trying to raise twin boys cook a meal I'm out every day and we get HelloFresh delivered to our house a lot and the pork meals that are in that are phenomenal are absolutely phenomenal it's a game been a game changer for us in fact because generally as a rule you don't if you don't know what to cook with you know with pork like a lot of people just go oh well you know we know we can make mince or we know we can you know make a lamb roast or but you know it's been the hard work of your industry to get people on on the bit to actually eat it. And we eat a lot of pork now traditionally when I never used to, and that's been a hard project. So if it's going to start getting uh, to the point where we're seeing these supermarkets slash it, I don't think it's great for the industry completely. But the next point, Margot, that I'm really concerned about is that you touched on it. The scaremongering from the Bureau of Meteorology, I talked about this at the top of the show, it is horrible what is going on. They are continually, and I, and I mean this, oh, disaster, terror, all this stuff, and, it, and it, it plays into people's hands and people get scared traditionally. They remember what COVID's like and that has an effect domestically on our, on our pork industry. And it, we keep seeing it happening in the fact that we rely on these forecasting, we rely on what is happening. You can't just decide tomorrow, like if the temperature is going to be different tomorrow. It, that's not how our industries work. We need that longer-term forecasting. We need to know what that's going to look like and how to prepare for that. And we're not a country that doesn't know about drought. We absolutely know about drought. And I went to the big drought forum in Rockhampton and we talked a lot about the symptoms of what the drought is, but it's coming back to that, how do you genuinely prepare for drought from a business planning perspective? And that's where we need to really focus on what that planning looks like. How do you support producers? Unfortunately, there is always going to be producers in this country who may not be able to make it through a drought and we need to be able to support them early enough to make those decisions versus those farmers who can actually go through those hot seasons, who can adapt, who can move stock around, who can find alternative feed sources. For us in pork, our production method actually makes it okay because our pigs are obviously raised in 
in the air-conditioned sheds. So the biggest issue for us is obviously the grain price. So that's where we're so closely linked to other industries and that's where they really need those tools and the forecasting. So we can all adapt, we can adjust, we can do good business planning, but we need the tools for those forecasts to help us do that. And that's where this really good planning to come in so that those on-term symptoms that we see with farmers getting into financial stress and unfortunately mental health and things like that, how do we actually give the tools and resources so people don't get to those points and they can do that business planning up early. So we do need to be careful with what we say, but with the millions of dollars that we're putting into forecasting and things like that, what we're actually looking for is can we get the best forecast that we can and can we actually be in the it's a bit like my biosecurity it's a unique opportunity to plan for drought so let's actually really focus on planning for it yeah and 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 that's a really really good thing that we we can do it market wise you've been very big on opening up the markets biosecurity was a huge factor for you and when you came into this role it was where you started and, and, and you put your job on it. You, you absolutely said, we need to improve it. And touch wood, we, we, we've, we've really escaped a lot of the world disease that's gone on because of that. Now it is about opening up our markets to, to the world and, and, and growing out. Is that, is that still occurring? Yeah, and by, we live and breathe biosecurity and I just came back from overseas from visiting trade partners um, just a couple of weeks ago and fantastic to see the signage at the airport, see the detector dogs and see people there actually taking biosecurity seriously and we saw the increase in fines. So yes, we live and breathe it. We are an island. We can keep these diseases out. But as I always say, we are reliant on people doing the right thing and at this point our government is doing the right thing and protecting our borders. Our farmers are all doing the right thing in protecting their farms and protecting their animals. What we're really actually after is making sure the general public, when they are coming into our country, that they don't bring products in, that they don't send them in the mail. And in terms of going to those trade and where we are, we're actually seeing, I've, I've just been travelling because with African swine fever continuing to spread throughout the world with these countries who are impacted for it, Australian products, particularly Australian pork, is a safe, reliable um, supplier because of the uniqueness of our country here. So we are seeing an uplift in trade, which is fantastic. And what's best is those people actually get good protein thanks to Australia. So, But we have to remain vigilant. I know people probably get sick of me saying biosecurity, and um, but for me, biosecurity is sexy. We have to live and breathe it, and we have to keep it front of mind to protect our country and, and keep being a safe, reliable trading partner for these countries out there. Yeah, it, it's such a good flag. It's such a good flag. Uh, moving in, and, and we always say it, if it's got a bone, it's Australian-owned, and that's the big thing you need to to remember um when you're buying if if it has bone in it from a ham you you absolutely know that it it has been australian owned and grown so that is something that we always need to know thank you so much for giving me some time this morning i understand how busy you are there's lots happening in this sphere we really appreciate your time this morning wonderful thanks ben have a great day and enjoy some pork good on you margo andre ceo of australian pork uh this morning on rural queensland today we're going to take a break come back this is rural queensland today Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning, the 10th of October, and talking to some friends of mine yesterday. There is headers rolling at Surratt at the moment. We They're underway. 
Um, and look, not everybody is getting a crop. There are some crops and the market is a little bit sketchy on where it actually is at the moment. AgForce Grains President uh, is Brendan Taylor. He joins us this morning. Brendan, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. Morning, Um, Can we get an overview? I mean, harvest finished in the central as such. Um, talking to, to growers yesterday at Surratt, they've started... Um, but there's not an awful lot of grain crop around as such compared to the year before. Um, and obviously there is high demand due to the fact of domestically we are just so dry. Yeah, correct. Although um, CQ harvest is largely finished, a little bit of cereals left up there to do. Um, probably the talking point for central Queensland is game being chickpeas. It's a chickpea crop, uh, generally speaking, up there has been very good for them. Yep. Um, a little hard to make general statements everywhere because there are some pockets in all regions that have been tremendous. I mean, it's dry, dry as buggery everywhere at the moment, but through the season, there has been some better pockets right throughout the regions and some really ordinary ones where they've had basically no rain since Christmas. So, um, But yeah, CQ is largely done. Um, the, the chickpea crop up there at best has been up in that three tonne to the hectare range, which is a very acceptable result considering how little rain we've had. Um, as you say, the headers now are in full swing in southern Queensland, and it's again, it's a mixed bag around my part of the world here on the Downs. The earliest barley crops have been very, very good considering how little rain we've had. Um, but then the further west and south you go, um, the, um, the yields drop away significantly to, to places that never planted so, because they just never had a planting loan. So it's it's a little mixed bag, but you're right. Um, if you compare this year to last year, there's no comparison. Last year it rained, rained and rained and rained, which was uh, good and bad. It was very, very difficult last year because it was so wet, but we grew a, a large crop on the back of it. Um, this year I, I'm guessing, and, and I have seen some numbers from other others in um, uh, likes of Grain Corp that you know, particularly we could be looking at a third of last year's crop, like total harvest for this winter. So if you compare those numbers, um, this crop is very, very small. So on the let's talk domestically with, with with the season. New South Wales and Victoria, I mean, they some of the Victorian crops and, and southern New South Wales crops needed a drink and they got it last week. That would bode well for you know, southern New South Wales and Victoria, but you would think Moree and through there, Walgett and that part of the world, those crops aren't looking that great because of the weather. How is that looking in New South Wales? I mean, you know, there's got to be a continued harvest. What What, what is the projections in New South Wales and Victoria at the moment? Uh, I think, yeah, Victoria, from my understanding, obviously had tremendous rain, possibly too much rain in parts um, last week, but the further north you come into southern New South Wales, it's again pretty good, in my understanding. But the further north you come from, say, Dubbo into Queensland, yep. the area and the and the yield of the crops drops significantly. So, um, my colleagues in in um, northern parts of New South Wales that I talk to, um, there's some patches down there again that are okay, but there's some big areas that weren't planted. Yep. So just generally the area's down and, and the yield's going to be down as well. So um, 
and there's incredible demand for grain at the moment. Obviously, yeah. being very dry, there's um, feedlots are bulging with cattle to to be finished. Um, so there's there's significant grain uh, being used. Uh, there's also already been several vessels of Western Australian barley come into Brisbane just to fill the gap because the domestic crop isn't going to um, isn't going to fill the demand over time. It, there's there's a bit of grain around around at the moment, obviously because uh, headers are rolling. Um, but um, yeah, the, the the Western Australian grain will keep coming just purely on the supply and demand curve. So, when you look at it, like at the present moment, and I was talking to people yesterday who said they potentially could get four fifty on farm. I mean, that that's quite phenomenal. I mean, yes, the yields are down, but that kind of money we haven't seen you know for some time. That that, that that's unbelievable, and it could get higher, Brendan, from a wheat perspective. Yeah, correct. Um, well, at my local depot, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw a bid yesterday for, for hard wheat, for prime hard wheat, was 500 down the chute. So not many not many times you see um, high-quality wheat trade at 500 bucks. So yes, you're right, grain prices are incredibly strong. Um, so in many cases, yields are down, um, but gross margins per hectare shouldn't be just too bad considering where the grain prices are at. Um, but if you haven't got any grain to sell, which there are parts out there that haven't grown a crop at all, it's not much help to you. But um, everyone's looking at the sky. I mean, the, you know, the current weather situation is it's extremely dry. Um, many parts of, of the cropping regions and uh, the state generally have probably had 200 mils or less rain this yep. year. Yeah. Um, you know, last year it rained every Friday for nine months until November and then it literally stopped raining for three months during last summer. Yep. And for many places it hasn't started again. So um, the next crop being the summer crop, um, sorghum, which we would love to have in the ground now, there might be a little patch of sorghum here or there planted, but they won't be travelling real well, I wouldn't suspect, but we need significant rainfall event to get the summer started, to get to get sorghum and uh, mung beans and the like in the ground. And, the longer we go without rain, the more rain we're going to need for that to happen. So can I ask you, when, when you look at the market at the moment, the dry weather is propping up this market, but world futures are back. Why is it cheaper on the world stage than it is in Australia? I understand the demand at the moment is because lack of, lack of grain and, and because of the dry but why is it a softening market around the world when we've seen a drought take place overseas as well? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Dobbo, and it's probably not something I'm really qualified to talk on, but uh, there has been, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been significant unrest in world grain markets with yep. the conflict in Ukraine. They've certainly upset the apple cart with, um, you know, when there's a quarter of the world's wheat grown in those two countries has been... Um, in an area that's been volatile and and, and um, under attack, um, yeah, it, it it really is an interesting one. But um, it just it just doesn't make it just doesn't make sense at all. Um, in, in the sense that we're very much so like well, it, it is certainly very strong here on the market. But I'm worried that long term this grain market and can we just talk about quickly. And, and we're talking with Brendan Taylor, AgForce Grains president. Yes, the price is very good, but geez, the input costs have gone ridiculous. Fertiliser has been 
one of these things and fuel. So the margins, you know, and everybody's thinking, well, it's about time the grain farmers got some got a turn. Well, the margins have nearly sopped up all that profit anyway. Yeah, correct. Although, you know, if you look, this year's probably a little different, although fuel fuel hasn't changed. It's been up and down, but it's it's back up in the, the low twos again or the mid twos even. But um, last year we talked about, you know, growing a significant crop last year but uh, because it was so wet, but it was also a very, very, very expensive crop to grow with. You know, fertiliser last year, you know, urea in the $1,200 range with it being so wet, we had many fungicide sprays last year. Yeah. So um, this year being so much drier, we probably have, we haven't had uh, any of those fungicide sprays go into the chickpeas or, or rust or anything like that into the cereals. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's all well and good to say, yeah, grain's trading at 400 plus dollars a tonne, but to be honest, although it really needs to for 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 um for grain producers to turn a profit because um, um their cost of production, just generally speaking, uh, is is actually very very high. Yeah, interesting times. We need it to rain. I'm I'm loving hearing people get some crop off and get paid for it. And I think they all deserve it. Um, there's no two ways about it. But gee, wish you'd like to see it rain so they can get some sorghum in or get some planting rain in so they can actually get a summer crop or put a bit of moisture back into their profile so so they've got a little bit of, you know, leeway for next year. Appreciate your time, Brendan. Thanks for the update. Thanks, Dave. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Um, the state of the Wallabies. Uh, we haven't really addressed it too much because I've, in a lot of ways, been completely horrified by what they dished up over at the Rugby World Cup. Now, Alan Jones has written an amazing piece for the paper. If you remember Alan Jones, love him or hate him, over a long period of time has been very, very staunch with rugby. He was a former Wallabies coach. And it's very rare that Alan Jones comes out and is completely scathing of the state of the game. But he's written an article which I think if we don't and share it with you, we're not doing ourselves any justice. For those who don't understand and don't know the severity, that Australia were bundled out in the pool for the first time in a Rugby World Cup, did not even make the quarterfinals. Fiji had to lose by more than seven points for Australia to go through. And unfortunately, they were beaten by one point, which meant Australia exited the World Cup. And Australia rugby's damage has been done once and for all. Alan Jones, love him or hate him, wrote this, and I think it's amiss if we don't talk about it. The Wallabies World Cup is officially done. And change must begin. Yet getting rid of Hamish McLennan and Eddie Jones should only be the start. Much beckons. The humiliation inflicted on our players is now complete. They must live with this forever, he says. In what remains, there is an element of a historic tennis clash between Federer, Djokovic and Nadal. On any given day, anyone could win. 
So Willoughby Island, South Africa, New Zealand, France, though the World Administration of Rugby should be in big trouble due to the fact that the top four teams are on the same half of the draw. That's, that's irrelevant. What do we learn now about the Wallabies? Well, the rugby family are saying, as the power of Hamish McLennan and Andy Jones has been exposed to public view, the reputation of Australian rugby has lost altitude. Just like Qantas, it's been flooded with complaints from customers about their performance. Yet, we never really see it. Rugby... In the London Times, they reported on Rugby Australia, a car crash campaign goes, this was one of the all-time smash-ups. After the Walsh game, the London Times wrote, all we know for sure is Australia has just completed one of the most miserable 80 minutes of any Australian rugby team. Worst Wallabies in World Cup history. All this is true. Beaten 40 points to six as part of a reflection by Wales. Okay. Let's talk about this Chairman Hamish McLennan. And I'm serious about this because rugby union, as much as it's a dying breed, a lot of people listening to us today send their kids off to school, they follow it, they want to see the Wallabies do well. Twelve months ago, Hamish McLennan was planning a bright future for the game with the talks of raising $150 million from private equity within weeks. Today, as of today, there is nothing. The chairman cannot hide away from the boardroom or ignore the wreck or pretend that, that he hasn't been in charge and it can't get repaired. Let's have a look at the team selections. The players with experience and ability that have been ignored, and this is quite true. Michael Hooper, Jed Halloway, Pete Samu, Ned Hannigan, Liam Gill, Sean McMahon, Quade Cooper, Reese Hodge, Tom Wright, James O'Connor, Tom Banks, Bernard Foley, Harry Wilson, all forgotten men of Australian rugby. And it's acceptable to the family of rugby that the chairman, that he met secretly with Eddie Jones and got rid of David Rennie before the World Cup. Jones is on $800,000 this year, $1.5 million annually after that. $1.5 million a season after that. Remember, this is Eddie Jones who attacked the media for being negative. Is it true that Rugby Australia now have got not one bit of private equity? They've got $90 million worth of debt and they want to try and keep this code alive. So Hamish McLennan is in charge. He put Eddie Jones back in the job. The chief executive at the time... Andy Marinos was the one who didn't want Jones appointed, so he left. He'd had enough. There is no rugby knowledge on the board. The players wanted David Rennie, and he was sacked. So, since 2020, rugby has been on the slide. Now, how do you change the game? How do you get it back? Well, you need to start at the top. It's embarrassing. Every single coach needs to attend the Australian Schoolboys Championships. Identify 
the better players. Let the players talk to the coaches. Let there be a pathway. Let there be a coaching scheme that works. Then get club rugby and start to cull some of these some of these absolute you know, we don't need Melbourne. You need ACT, Queensland, Brisbane. Edit point, sorry. You need ACT, New South Wales, Queensland, and the Western Force. Four teams. And you build. And you make a stronger comp. It needs a national academy. And it needs to start again. It needs to start again. There are successful coaches that know rugby, but rugby has gone so far away from what they can do, they need to change. The Wallabies need to change. And they need to start playing football again. The disaster of this has been unbelievable. It was a dismal, dismal World Cup. So, the worst World Cup ever... Thank you so much, Eddie Jones. You no longer have the right to coach this country. And they were knocked out of the World Cup by a Fiji team who were beaten by Georgia and beaten by Portugal in their first World Cup win ever. My God. They don't even want to acknowledge what they've done. They don't even want to acknowledge how bad they've been. Just disgusting. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today on the 10th of October. A very, very busy Tuesday for some. I know harvest has started in some parts of the world and also the preparations are well underway for the Condamine Camp Draft as we touched on a little earlier. Have a great day and remember when the wheat is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock um, and I just hope that everybody is doing all right. I'm serious when I talk about just the lengths that people are going to just to survive at the moment because of the severity of the drought, falling commodity prices and much, much more. We'll be back tomorrow morning from nine. Bill McDonald joins you next. Stay safe on the roads. Till next time, everybody, please. Just stay safe on the road, look after your community, look after each other, and we'll be back tomorrow morning from 9am on Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Bye for now.